0: Oh, and welcome to the Should I Go See It podcast, where every other Friday we take a deeper dive into the one-sentence reviews on shouldigoseeit.com. This week we'll be discussing Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, The Mother, and Hypnotic. I'm your host, Bill George. With me today, super producer, Craig Stanton. Hello, Bill. How are you? I'm doing great. It's sad that AJ is not with us. He is picketing with the Writers Guild currently, <laughs> showing his support and solidarity. What a guy. No, he had prior engagements, but we will get him next time for sure. Uh, what's new with you? How are you?
1: Well, you know, Bill, we've got some plans for next weekend. Those plans being I'm going to get married. Uh, big
0: plans. Big weekend. <laughs> Giant weekend. Huge weekend.
1: Big, big plans. Big weekend. We are just fully in the throes of the planning process, tightening up last minute details Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. It's a yep. great time, I and mean, I'm loving every minute of it, as you can tell from the tone of my voice. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I'm very much looking forward to the actual wedding itself uh, and the honeymoon to follow. It's going to be great. But yeah, that's all that's on my mind these days.
0: How about you? Are you watching any wedding-related movies? Wedding Crashers, Father of the Bride, anything make it into the mix? You know, that's a good
1: question. Not intentionally, although every piece of media that has wedding related stuff, like the Connor's wedding episode of of secession, yep. for example, is definitely being watched with a certain lens of <laughs> yeah. when he's like freaking out about the cake or something. We're like, I wonder if we'll do that. And I don't know. <laughs> Any like <laughs> traumatic great. childhood memories connected to Sponge Cake on your end? No? Me? Okay. No. <laughs> That's great. That's great. How about you? What's new with you, Bill? I see something on the sheet here that says rumble boxing. And I don't know yes. what that means.
0: Allow me to explain. So friend of the show, first and only guest, Melissa Childs, yes, started doing this rumble boxing thing. She invited me to try it out, went to a class, and I had a lot of fun. It's, you know, it is a boot camp type workout class that you can attend and it integrates boxing into it. So, you know, I'm under no illusions that like this is not actual boxing or a boxing you know, training. It's really just taking the aesthetics of boxing and weaponizing it into an accessible workout for people. So I get that. But you know, you do half of it on the floor doing, you know, regular type exercises. And then you move over to a bag and you do different combinations and you and you pound the shit out of the bag. Box and punch. Yeah. You know, for me, I enjoy the the, the workout of it. It's a tough workout. It's fun. You know, when someone's yelling at you, it's a little more motivating. Not really yelling there supportive. It's not like a drill sergeant or anything. But, you know, th- that environment gets you going. And then when you get onto the bag, you know, there's definitely a wish fulfillment, make pretend like I, I don't I have no plans of boxing. I don't want to get hit. But it's in the gloves and kind of do the stance and bounce around. Oh, like, there's gloves. You got gloves. Oh, yeah. No, it's the whole thing. And you're doing this. You get them all taped up. No, you wear You have things you can, you could get taped out, but you can just slide on like little protectors that you put on before you put on the gloves above. And we're talking about full weight,
1: like punching bags, not some kind of make pretend punch, like a real punching
0: bag. It's a real punching bag for sure. Yeah. They're like the more like circular ones. They're not like the, I don't know, cylindrical ones. It's more like a sphere. Okay. Like a medicine ball. Yeah. It's well, much bigger than that, but like it's more spherical than it is <laughs> is everybody standing around the giant punching sphere no no there's a bunch of them, there's a bunch of them hanging up and you go to the one that's designated for your number and you just go at it interesting okay so sure. anyway you know it's just fun to, to basically pretend i'm Adonis Creed. and when You know, when they're in, and it just takes me back to all the box. I've seen a goddamn zillion boxing movies growing up. So it's just fun to kind of pretend to be in that space. And every boxing movie, they're always yelling, keep your hands up, protect your face. And like, now I get it because like- It's hard, man. Yeah, they drop. Yeah, your hands just drop. So I'm like trying to, I got like Mick in my ear, like yelling from the corner as I'm like trying to do it. love this. So anyway, it's fun. It's fun. Rumble Boxing, please be a sponsor. (laughs) It was a good time. It was a good time. I was glad Melissa asked me.
1: Fantastic.
0: So I'm starting to do that once- uh, I've been trying to go like once a week, basically the last couple of weeks as I've been getting situated into it. I love it's it. Nice. Who doesn't want to be a part of a,
1: a boxing training montage in real life? Sure. Exactly.
0: Exactly what it is. Exactly. I know you've been uh, working out as well.
1: Yeah. Well, we're not. We're going to do our best not to turn this into a home exercise podcast, but my, my <laughs> thing also well, has yours a is, yours movie related. connection. Yeah. So I'll breeze through the exercise portion of the program quickly, which is that I'm a Peloton guy. But I got Love very it. quickly so sick of the Peloton workouts, Mo- not because I didn't like them, but just because like I like... What if I'm like listening to a podcast or something like that? Like I don't want to stop it and listen to these people yell at me. And a lot of the times I find the music frustrating because it's like X genre, and I'll be like, I like X genre, and then I'll put it on. And like it's just the song selection is almost what I want to hear. But if I'm already thinking of genre X, like pop punk ride with Kendall or whatever, like yep. I'm a big pop punk guy and like I go in, but it's like, man, she's picking the songs. I want to pick the songs. Like, <laughs> right. I want to listen to what I want to listen to. So I have a problem with that. And so I've just been doing like rides. Like you can just do the thing where you like, I know you think I'm crazy for this, but it's just 10 mile yeah, ride. It's free ride. Go. Yeah. But, and so, you know, you get your podcasts going or whatever, but recently I've started watching movies and it is, I was, I was, I'm telling the audience now is that I source some recommendations from you, Bill, because it's it's very similar to a conversation that we've had on this podcast before, which is plane movies, where it's like, right? How do you what's like a perfect plane movie where it's not too much action because you're on a small screen? It's not laugh out loud hilarious so that you sound like some sort of maniac. There's not, although I don't care about this part because there's no. Like, I have no neighbors, right? Like, you don't, for the airplane movie, though, you don't want, like, excessive nudity or, like, whatever. So right, right. I believe the term you use to describe these films is talkies.
0: <laughs> yeah, talkies. Just straight, <laughs> straightforward dramas. It's a lot of conversation.
1: Yeah, so it's like, I, that's what I'm looking for on my Peloton rides is, like, good movies, not a ton to look at necessarily, but just sort of dense dialogue, good dialogue, and right. an engaging plot that I can glom onto in my... In my workout. So I've done a couple. Started with Moneyball. Fantastic. Some of these I've seen before. Some of them I haven't. Well, I started with actually some of my old standbys, some Wes Andersons and what have yous, which constitute great talkies, if I may say. Do the Wes. You don't think that, I feel
0: like the Wes Anderson visual aesthetic demands your attention. But I guess if you've already seen it. A couple yeah, times, but I've yeah. seen
1: those all a million times. So I don't need that too much. Sure. And you can just listen to the dialogue of many Wes Anderson movies and be like, "This is so great." True. Although yeah. they are a little flat, I'll say. So, anyways, th- those were my first. Moneyball was my second. Did the Steve Jobs Michael Fassbender version? Yep. The other day, and uh, yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking for talkies. My my DMs are open, so to speak.
0: Yeah. If you're looking for that dense and dialogue, then you know Moneyball and Jobs. You jumped on the Aaron Sorkin train, which is the right place to be. Because one of the other ones I recommend is A Few Good Men, which is also written by Sorkin. Mm. It's just, just great. That's what he's That's what he's known for. He's got a, an ear for dialogue. So it's great. I love it. love that you're watching more movies. It's fantastic. It's true. The only problem is,
1: is you know, I don't ride for two and a half hours or whatever. So yeah. I'll it's, it's very difficult for me, especially for those that don't know. I'm like a self-employed individual, can m- sort of make my own schedule. It's very difficult for me to not just finish the movie in the same day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just it. It's like you find a reasonable stopping point. And you're like, okay. But then it's just like still like in your head. It's, like it's not a TV show where it's like literally designed to end and then you wait for the next one. It's no, I'm right. like in the middle of this movie. Like I want to fucking finish it. Um, you're just sitting there, just drenched in sweat. Just like, I got to get to the <laughs> end. I got to see how it ends. But yeah, there's been a couple days that have been like lost to the fact that like I should be doing work. And I w- instead just like sit down and like watch a movie in the middle
0: of the day. Just finish the movie that you started. This is not a way to live a productive life. Well, you're describing my life. So. <laughs> Take offense yeah, but to that. that but
1: you do that on your days off. You want your day your days on require that you are very much not watching movies in the middle of your
0: work <laughs> all day. Right, fair point. Fair point. That is yeah, good good distinction. True. These are days on for me. Uh, all right. Well, what is in the news, Craig? Uh, this now this duty now falls on you uh, to take us through the news. I'm ready, baby. All right. So
1: the AV Club recently put together a list of 18 movies you'll never want to rewatch. It includes emotionally draining ordeals like Requiem for a Dream, Passion of the Christ, Sophie's Choice, and The Revenant, as well as horror flicks like Human Centipede, Yuck, and Funny Games, Double Yuck. Bill, what are some movies you never plan to put on again?
0: All right, so I was thinking about this. So I I threw this in there because it was just an interesting discussion point, I thought, when I saw it pop up on the AV Club. And
1: just just to be clear, we're talking about movies you never want to watch again that you liked or enjoyed, right? Because I'm sure there's a million shitty movies that you would never want to watch again. But I think the context of this question is like good movies you'll never want to rewatch.
0: I, my list is like half and half for that. Okay. okay. So like there are definitely some that the, the emotional effect is why I wouldn't go back. I have a couple that the quality is why I wouldn't go back. And then they have a couple that like the length is why I wouldn't go back. So mm-hmm. to start, you know, they mentioned Requiem for a Dream. That's close To my list. But Aronofsky is such a good director. I could see myself kind of going back to that at some point. And I definitely would watch The Revenant again. In fact, I've been like meaning to. So I was kind of surprised that one was on the list.
1: I remember when you saw Revenant in theaters, you described the experience of watching it as like you were like your body was like physically sore (laughs) from the tension, like the tightness that you were watching it with the entire time.
0: That is true. But now, but again, now that I know what happens that hopefully there will be a little less of that, but I did, I was super just clenched up the entire movie. Oh yeah. So my first set of my list are the ones that just jumped to mind immediately because I just never want to watch them again because they're bad. So like there are a couple to stand out so bad. I'll never do it again. Matrix Resurrections being number one with a <laughs> bullet. Maybe the worst movie I've ever seen in my life. Never will sit down to watch that. Don't look up that Netflix movie by McKay with Leo. Oh, interesting. I hated that movie so much. I will never sit through that again. And then Under the Skin with Scarlett Johansson, which is like a lot of people like it in indie circles and sci-fi circles, but the pacing of that movie is so slow that I could never sit through it again. Is that one of your cannibal films? No, that one is not a cannibal film. The movies that I thought were very good, but I don't know that I could ever sit through again, like Schindler's List, amazing, incredible film. I feel like I got what I needed out of that one. Like I don't see myself sitting down through that. The Irishman combination. I mean, the length is the main thing. Like I saw it. It was good. I get it, but I, it, I don't need to sit through Irishman again. Manchester by the sea, super emotionally heavy, very good movie. Wouldn't sit through it again. And the last ones I have are like body horror movies. Uh, like raw, which is a, a cannibal type movie. Bah. Raw was good. Audition to Japanese film and hard candy. I recommend seeing all those movies at least once because they're very well done, but I wouldn't sit through them again.
1: Fair enough. All right. On to our next story, which is the story that we've been kind of trying to avoid, (laughs) I want (laughs) to say. But now it has grown to the point of uh, unavoidable. So we mentioned it on our last episode, but the writer's strike has finally made it into our news section. So the Writers Guild continues to be on strike over their collective bargaining agreement with the studios their major hang-up being residuals for streaming content. In addition to picketing, they've been interfering with the production of various projects, partially through their collaboration with the Teamsters. Studios, meanwhile, have pushed back most projects that haven't been already been canceled and set upcoming TV lineups full of reality TV programming. What do you think happens next, Bill? Hollywood insider.
0: Yeah, yeah. well, I am not an expert on the subject. Surprise. If you are looking for a more expert opinion, I definitely recommend Kevin Smith and Mark Bernardin's most recent episode of Fat Man Beyond, their podcast. Friend of the show, Kevin Smith. Yeah. (laughs) They summarized, they spent the whole episode really talking about the strike because they are both in the guild, both on strike. So obviously you're getting the writer's perspective. And so I learned a lot from that. And then I did a little more research today from the producer's side as well. But, you know, some sort of base level things to explain to anybody who's, curious about what's going on or they've seen it on Twitter, but they don't get what's going on. As far as right now, the writers are on strike, which means that they are not writing on behalf of the studios. If they want to go write something for themselves, they want to make in the future, they can still write, but they are not working for the studios directly. And stuff that has already been written can still be produced. So that's why there's still shows in production because they've already been written. The difference is writers are no longer there. And some, depending on the director, sometimes they'll have writers on set so they can make changes, answer questions, like any improv- improvisation. But not right now, no writers are on set because that would be crossing the picket line. And some productions, like we talked about in that write-up, productions being interfered with because if writers are picketing it and blocking it, The Teamsters have agreed in collaboration with the Writers Guild not to cross the picket line. And the Teamsters are the ones who drive all the trucks. So the trucks need to bring in equipment to the production set. And if they try to drop something off at a set that is being picketed, they have agreed that they will not cross that line. And so some productions have to be basically put on hold because they've been interfered with. So some interesting stuff going on there basically means a lot of the stuff that you're waiting to see is going to be delayed or a lot of projects are getting canceled. So that's the Producers Guild. There are the motion picture producers, the AMPTP, whatever it is, the studios, essentially. Their first volley, their first defense is to start canceling projects because that is like sending the signal and trying to scare tactics of, well, if you're going to strike, we're just not going to make the thing you were planning on making. And it gets, I would imagine, gets the public on their side a
1: little bit, too, because if the way to make the public hurt here is to take away the shit we want to watch. And if it's in the pipeline, right, like they can't, it's, if it's delayed or whatever, that just doesn't quite have the punch of saying the bear season two will not be released because of these freaking people. That's what, that's the story that studios want to tell.
0: Right. The studios want that. And the studios also want the public, which some do to think of it as, Oh God, these Hollywood types, they're already millionaires. And now they just want more millions or whatever, which is not in point of fact true when you think about writers. Um, but anyway, there's also a large media ecosystem that is fiercely anti-union that would be telling that story
1: no matter what. So, Right. There's that as well.
0: So what the writers want, they say that the math bears out that what they are asking for would end up being only 2% of profits for the studios uh, when they like, look at how much profit the studios announce on their earnings calls and things like that. What they would want is they want 2% of that to be residuals for streaming based on how well the streaming does. So this is what's interesting. If you've seen articles, Netflix and Hulu and these folks, they never put out actual numbers of how many people are watching stuff. They'll do like a top list of their most popular things, but they never share the specific numbers. And they say that it's proprietary information and yada, yada, yada. The problem with that is if you're a writer and you work on stranger things, or you work on something that gets canceled after one season is terrible... You know you're getting paid more up front because they they don't have residuals, so they're getting a little more money up front, but you're never getting a taste of the success of the thing that you helped create. If you created Stranger Things, you would think that you would be compensated for that, just like the writers of Friends or Seinfeld. They got paid a ton of money because there were so many advertisers, and they could tell the Nielsen ratings that they had. They were in a place where they could negotiate higher salaries because of what the they created. But with streamers, they can't really do that because nobody knows what's doing well or not. Well, people know what's doing well. They just can't
1: say this is the The
0: studios. No, but they won't say. Right. right. And I don't think the studios are going to want to budge on that anytime soon. Like they keep those numbers really close to the chest because I'm afraid. I think that they think that whatever numbers they put out might. Be lower than people think, or it might affect their stock, or whatever. Like they keep all that really tight. And so I don't really see that one changing. So, as far as what happens next, I think we're in for the long haul on this one because it's just a tough, it's a tough situation. The other thing that, besides the streaming rights or streaming residuals, the other thing that the producers have said is a sticking point for them is the writers are asking for mandatory staffing, as in if you have a writer's room for a show, they want a mandatory minimum of how many people are on that staff and a minimum duration of employment so that people are not, I guess, to set sort of a certain threshold where you could make a living as a writer regardless of what you end up working on. A little more job certainty, I suppose. Right. And the producers are saying that would require us to staff a certain number of writers for a specific... Project that may not need it, like it goes counter to the creative nature of showmaking. You're like creating a one size fits all solution that isn't fair, especially if it's someone, maybe it's a small group that have a singular voice. They want to write this thing, but now all of a sudden we have to add two more writers based on collective bargaining. You know what I mean? So that is sort of the counter argument for the producers on that one. So there's there's a lot going into it. Uh, there's also AI, which is like a whole other thing where writers are afraid of how AI could be used in the future by The production team because AI writing is not copyrightable. So that gets another sticky thing that they got to figure out because these agreements are every three years. So they've got to plan for the next three years and AI is only going to get even more advanced. So they're trying to figure out safety mechanisms for that as well. So those are all kind of the main things. And at this point, they're picketing. They're not even at the table right now. And we'll see when they can get back to it. Meanwhile, the Directors Guild and the Screen Actors Guild have their collective bargainings coming up re- in the near future. And they have basically said that they are in line with the writers. They support the writers. And there's a chance that they start to hold out or pick it. And if that happens, if they don't come to the table for their own collective bargaining to kind of show solidarity with the Writers Guild, that's when things will go haywire and like stuff in production won't be able to happen and it will just be... All reality TV, all the time, basically. Yeah, I hope
1: you like Love is Blind or whatever the fucking thing is. Exactly.
0: Yep. So, yeah, so that's where we're at right now. And we're, and Mark Bernard brings up a great point in the podcast where, like, the first few weeks of a strike, it's kind of exciting and you see them on the news and there's big groups and super famous actors will come by and drop off pizzas and show solidarity and all that. But if this drags on for months, like it starts to just become a grind. War of attrition. Yeah. It's bad. And like, and the writers want to work. They want to make money. They want to get back to work. So it's, it's an interesting situation that we will start to see trickle down effects of this over the next few months when it comes to the stuff we talk about on this show. And if you're sitting at home wondering, hey, when the hell is the next season of XYZ? I'm waiting for Billions to come back. I think they have their final season. And that show was shut down in production, even though it's written due to picketers. So that's delayed. Stranger Things is delayed. The bear will come out because the bear was already done. They're just in editing. Thank fuck. Um, thank God. We'll have something. <laughs> those 10, those 10, 30 minute episodes are going to have to tide <laughs> us over for like <laughs> eight months. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, they figure it out. But yeah, really interesting. Definitely. If you want more detail, check out that podcast and just start searching online. I follow a bunch of writers, actors, directors on Twitter and they're all just constantly, they change their logos to the writer's guild logo. Like they are, all in lockstep on getting this figured out. Just a matter of when the studios come back to the table and when they can work it out somehow.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, we shall see. So, I understand, Bill, you've had the opportunity to see some movies in the last couple of weeks. Should we move on to our should-I-go-see-it segment?
0: Yes, I had the pleasure of seeing one movie and the misfortune of two others. (laughs) Oh No,
1: okay, well, let's start with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, shall we? According to IMDb.com, still reeling from the loss of Gamora, Peter Quill rallies his team to defend the universe and one of their own—a mission that could mean the end of the Guardians if not successful. Bill, should I go see
0: it? Yes. Gave this one a yes. All right. You know we've been talking. We always talk a lot about. Smirking. This is a smirky, a
1: smirky (laughs)
0: yes. Yeah. It's a yes. You know, we've talked a lot about Marvel all the time because it's the biggest thing happening in Hollywood. Sure. And AJ and I have shared our disillusionment disillusionment over Marvel the last few projects. This does feel more like vintage Marvel. Now, is it? it's not as good as anything pre-Infinity War, but it is in that ballpark. And it is a great cap to the Guardians trilogy. And it's the final outing for... James Gunn, now that he has finished this, he's already moved over to DC and start running their stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's his last Marvel movie, at least for a while. And it's a good little finish, good little send-off. It's entertaining. It's heartfelt. You know, as you mentioned in the recap, it involves saving one of their own, which the story revolves very heavily around Rocket, uh, Rocket Raccoon, and his backstory. raccoon (laughs) Yeah. Honestly, I kind of wish they found a different storyline just because I feel like, Rocket Raccoon's backstory has been alluded to in different movies and what they give you, you kind of create it in your imagination and it's, they kind of keep it cryptic and emotional. And I kind of liked that being that like haunted past we only know a little bit about. And instead in this movie, they just show it. So kind of wish they did a different thing. But that being said, I got to go off the movie we have, not the movie that I want. And they did a nice job with what they chose to do. Uh, And I do appreciate that the movie had a heart at its center and it wasn't like another glowing orb that they have to chase. There was like an actual emotional story that involves the characters. So that was great. It was a little long. It was two and a half hours and it definitely could have been trimmed. And the first half in particular, I was actually really lukewarm on it. I was watching it thinking it was going to be a no. Like I wasn't that invested in the first half. But when they get into the emotional core of it and the wrap up, like I started to cry more than once in this movie. So I can't deny the effect that it had on me. So it ends up being a yes. It does have a mid credits and post credits sequence. So be ready for that. My major knock on the movie. And I know you have this against some of these movies too. Mm -hmm. There were so many needle drops. It was distracting. Like how many times in one movie can you like turn on, you know, No Sleep Till Brooklyn was one of them. Blast some popular music and have somebody walk in slow motion. Like It wasn't they did it once during the climax. They did that multiple times in the movie. And I was so sick of it. And that style that was so novel and fun for the first movie has worn off dramatically. It was novel and fun yeah. for some of us. It was annoying from the start
1: for others of us. Yeah. Me, mostly. And it was
0: like, it was bad. There were just so many. Like, it was the only stylistic go-to thing they have was just blast a pop song and have them move in slow motion three different times. Like I started to get super frustrated by that. Welcome. Other than that, it's, it's solid. Solid movie.
1: Fantastic. I love it. I won't be seeing. It. Yeah, it was good. Uh, but I'm <laughs> glad that you enjoyed yourself. Even though I feel like, if I remember correctly, you needed like a fistful of
0: Advil after you left the theater. Oh my God. I so I saw it. You're right. I saw it in IMAX 3D in Boston with laser projection, and it was beautiful they did a you know visually stunning but those IMAX theaters they crank the volume as if that makes it better to make it part of the IMAX experience so with the 3D which I don't do often I try to avoid it the 3D plus the super loud soundtrack and just audio plus the fact that audio includes tons of explosions and people yelling at each other just sitting in the dark for two and a half hours like i my head was in a vice when I walked out of that theater. <laughs> and so not the best movie-going experience, even though the movie was good. Uh, also, the crying, I'm sure, didn't help either. So it was just... I was a mess. Yeah, tough one. Mind, body, and soul.
1: <laughs> yeah, truly. All right, shall we move on? Yes. All right, our next movie is a Netflix streamer starring Jennifer Lopez, the one and only Jennifer Lopez, and it is called The Mother... Synopsis as follows. While fleeing from dangerous assailants, an assassin comes out of hiding to protect her daughter she left earlier in life. Bill, will you admit that you're a J-Lo hater and go?
0: All right. So I gave the movie a no. We'll explain that joke later. (laughs) Yeah, we have to come back to that. This is like Jennifer Lopez getting the taken treatment, which we talk about all the time. This is like the new thing. Love it. So she has this Netflix original, but this movie is so uh, like dated. Like, if you told me this movie came out in 2005, I would have said, Yeah, it checks out. Like, it just looks and feels like an early 2000s action movie in a bad way. It's definitely a 2000s throwback. You have Lopez, first of all, Joseph Fiennes, Edie Falco. Uh, So, just like older stars that were big in the early 2000s. The editing feels the early 2000s, like the soundtrack. It sounds like that. Like I, it just it feels like a throwback movie, but not in a fun. We're making a throwback movie. It's just it just feels like they're trying and failing. The interesting thing is Jennifer Lopez still looks like she looked in the early 2000s. She's a goddess. Like I was going to say, I just Googled her age. Jennifer
1: Lopez, age 53, looking absolutely incredible.
0: Yeah, and that, the funniest part about that is there's a 12-year time jump in the movie and she looks identical <laughs> Nothing on either changes. side of it. So that <laughs> threw me off. But the story, like you mentioned, she's a former military operative, of course. She has a child with an arms dealer and then their relationship goes bad and she gives the child up upon birth to protect her from the arms dealer. Kid goes into hiding. J-Lo goes into hiding. There's an inciting incident and then she has to come back to go and start whooping ass. Kill her way to the top. Yeah, exactly. But the movie's just not that good. There are sequences too where you can tell specifically that the costume and hair are specifically set up so they could easily swap in their stunt double for J-Lo. Like, I think she did some of her own stunts. But she'll wear just long hair with a beanie and they'll do a wide shot and she'll be doing a flip or something. Or they'll the one that was the worst was She rides a motorcycle at one point with a helmet that has a visor on it. And when they're on close-up shots, the visor is clear and it's J-Lo. And then on any sort of actual action shot, the visor's black. (laughs) I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) So just like lazy stuff like that. There's a crosshair graphic when she's looking through a scope that I almost threw up how stupid it was. (laughs) There's a lot of automated dialogue replacement or ADR that is like super obvious where they add the dialogue in post. Yeah. And it's just poorly done. There's scenes where like, the entire frame, there's like a slightly blurred edge, like around the edge, like a vignette almost. It's just bad decision making. The bad guys are super cartoony. Again, it's like every old action flick. They eventually grab one of the bad guys' lieutenants and they have a, a scene where he's strapped to a chair and they beat the hell out of him for information. Like it's the whole nine, every old action movie you've ever seen. The tough part is, you know, JLo does some good work here. Like she is absolutely trying. And if it was a better script with a better director and a bigger budget, it could have been a cool sort of career shift for her. If she moves into this space, I think she could do really well. J-Lo as, as action hero, you mean? Yeah, yeah, she could do it. Why not? No doubt. And Why she not, was J-Lo? good. And there's like, this movie asks for some emotional half to it at times with the mother-daughter dynamic and she does a nice job. But it's just the movie just doesn't work. As much as the J-Lo army, I don't know if they have a name, like Taylor Swift has Swifties. I don't know what the J-Lo people have. Mm. But they are... I will say to Craig's earlier point, they're out in force <laughs> on Instagram. I made sure to, you know, I add hashtags to my posts on Instagram so people can find them more easily. And I hashtag Jennifer Lopez. And all of a sudden I get like people coming in out of nowhere either to give me shit about the fact that I said no to a J-Lo movie regardless. Even though I defend J-Lo in the review, they still call me a hater. Or they come in and they don't actually read it or look at it and they just put up a photo of a heart or the emoji with the heart eyes just because it has something to do with Jennifer Lopez. So they're out there. She's got an online presence, an army that will defend her to the death. God bless them. First one of this
1: was um, a JLo fan account that comments and say, just say you are a hater and go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. First of all, go where? This is your Instagram account. Yeah. Second of all, the very first thing you do in the review, you say J-Lo... Well, it's not... I wouldn't necessarily say it's a compliment. You say J-Lo does her best, but it feels like this movie is straight out of 2005. Yeah, exactly. And even then, it would be below average. J-Lo does her best is not exactly a compliment, but
0: I... I, uh, It's it's certainly not a slight. Well, yes, I wanted to make sure that she stood out from the review because she was the best part of the movie. Just say you're a hater. And go. And there you go. If you wanted to watch a movie like this, that's better. Uh, Haywire is like an, a very underappreciated Soderbergh movie. Or The Protégé, which came out last year and I, it was on, in my top list. I loved the movie The Protégé with Maggie Q. Highly recommend either of those instead.
1: All right, Bill, we ready to move on to our uh, third and final film for the day? Yes, yeah, sir. We have a nice tailor-made segue here going from a j-lo movie to a ben affleck movie i mean this is (laughs) true you you just can't write this shit the movie's called hypnotic and it is about the following a detective investigates a mystery involving his missing daughter and a secret government program very succinct summary there from
0: imdb.com bill should i go see it uh, no, no, you should not. Uh, <laughs> I wrote okay. in my review that I would rather watch a swinging pocket watch for 90 minutes, and I stand by that. <laughs> so I've been at, like stars in the movie. Hypnosis is slightly involved, as you can tell from the title. Uh, Robert Rodriguez directed it. And I went in super fresh. There's like no marketing for this movie. Now I know why. I have not heard of it until
1: just right now.
0: Yes, exactly. And I had not really heard of it until I literally was like, oh God, I should see a movie. What's going on? And I look at the listings and I see this movie called Hypnotic and I'm like, what the hell is this? So I went in completely fresh, but I, you know, I like Affleck. We all do. At least we all do in the Northeast. Robert Rodriguez directed it and Robert Rodriguez known for you know, Sin City would be like the biggest one. He also did Planet Terror, which is part of the Grindhouse movies. He's a good director and Sin City especially is like a huge movie in my life. Am I growing up watching movies? So I was excited about that. But yeah, the movie's not good. It's a stab at like a mind bending sci-fi noir almost, but the concept isn't quite strong enough. The writing's not that good. The action is actually really poor, which was surprising for Rodriguez. So it just doesn't really work. The movie's about a cop whose daughter is kidnapped in a public place when he isn't looking, just like Minority Report. And then, so that's like the backstory that, you know, the haunted past for Ben Affleck is his daughter was kidnapped. And then he goes to a crime scene and he's tipped off, or he's tipped off about a crime that he has to go investigate and discovers that the culprit of that crime has the power to control people, which, and they're, that person who has that power is called a hypnotic. They basically have a superpower where they can send thoughts into someone's mind. And that makes anybody in the vicinity of this person a potential agent because he can just like turn people into, have them do whatever he wants. So it plays almost like an X-Men movie, basically, because we have this one bad guy who's got this power. And it also feels a little bit like Matrix Reloaded because anybody could turn into Agent Smith at any time. So it's like an interesting idea. Then there's a bunch of rug pulls and major twists and turns, which some of which I predicted. And with movies like this, you need to do a good job setting up the world and like the rules of the world. And this movie does not, they do a lousy job setting any sort of structure for what their powers are, the limits of them, how it works. And so because they can make changes to that whenever they want, it feels like there's no stakes really. It's some headlines are calling this movie like a Nolan ripoff, but that to me is like a slap in the face. Cause it's not even close. <laughs> That's to, an insult. For to... a Nolan for movie. Wow. Little little defensive there, Bill. <laughs> he is my favorite director. He's my boy. I gotta defend. But like think about Inception, right? This movie kind of tries to ape that tone or that look. But Inception does such a masterful job of setting up everything meticulously in the first half that the second half just plays out and the audience has so much information up front that in the second half you can just go. No, there's no stopping. There's no exposition. The audience knows if something goes wrong or the importance of a moment because they do such a good job setting up from the beginning. And this movie does not do that. This movie has to stop every other scene to have a new set of exposition to explain something. Mm. And Affleck acts as our audience surrogate, and he runs around with a character played by Alice Braga. And Alice, who does her best, I like her a lot. She's great great in everything I see her in. I wish there was more of her. She has to like she has the bad luck of having to explain everything to Ben Affleck slash us every two scenes, basically. Gotcha. And so it's just not good. It's not that good. It's a bummer. Like I said, if I was going to try to find some positives, Al Sprague is very good. Affleck's okay. I don't know. He seems a little phoning in sometimes. Jackie Earl Haley pops up in one scene. good to see him. Great character actor. William Fitchner, who's also a great character actor. He comes out pretty unscathed. He's like the antagonist. He's, he's good. Um, you would recognize him as the, the bank manager in the opening of The Dark Knight. He's also in Michael Mann's seminal classic Heat. You don't say. So if you're playing the drinking game at home, you can now take a drink. I mentioned Heat. But yeah, at the end of the day, the movie, all it does is borrow from other better movies. So I just I can't recommend it. Well, swing and a miss on Affleck. OK, here's a trivia question. What was the
1: last Ben Affleck movie you gave a yes to?
0: I assume it would be the one that he was the alcoholic basketball coach. Yeah. I feel like he's been coming up have a confirmation lot of it? Oh, I'm or? just saying. I don't. I guess less of a trivia question, more of just a question question because I don't <laughs> yeah. know the answer.
1: <laughs> I think that
0: was it because I remember I've seen him in one other thing since then, which was that coming of age movie where he was the bartender, which I didn't like. And I got some flack for that. The tender bar. Yeah, I didn't like that one. So I gave that a no. I'm trying to think of what else he's been in as of late I feel like he but, comes up a yeah. lot
1: on our podcast, but maybe that's just because I don't know. I think he I think he gets under AJ's skin <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> yeah.
0: All right. So hypnotic is not it. It's not it. And I feel like this for Affleck, I feel like this was one of those movies where it's like, uh, you know, it's a interesting sci-fi script and it gives him a chance to be a hard boiled, hard scrabble detective. And he gets to work with Robert Rodriguez, who's a great director. So like he probably thought, why not? But this doesn't really work. This will work out. And it didn't. Yeah exactly kind of a light couple weeks no movie wise from yeah not a lot right now you know we'll talk about what's coming up soon but there's a bunch of the bigger blockbuster movies coming out starting really in june so mm-hmm. so hopefully we'll have a lot more interesting things to talk about in some of the coming weeks
1: all right well shall we move on to netflix and bill bum bum what are we watching now well Speaking of Netflix. Oh, my God. I just saw this in the notes. Jesus fucking Christ.
0: A quick PSA because I was looking. I go usually go to the movies section of Netflix because otherwise I just get inundated with shows that I'm never going to watch. And it's just, it, ha- it, it makes it harder for me to find something. So I go to the movies specific section. And I noticed that it popped up that recommended for me, of course. Oh, <laughs> you don't uh, say. <laughs> Heat is now on Netflix. So if you haven't seen Heat, it's on Netflix for you. I think we should organize
1: a should I go see it watch party of this. movie, But we can do it like we can do it like it's 2020. We can all do it like at home because it's on Netflix. We can coordinate a start time and we can all watch and we can take calls on people's opinions
0: and play them on the podcast. We, I mean, we could if we wanted to, we could record a commentary track that then people could watch heat and hit play at the right time and they could listen to us watch heat. Wow. Wow. We're just spitballing here. <laughs> <laughs> Other than that, I want to make that PSA for for people. Yeah. Other than that, I have not been watching a lot of TV, to be honest. The main things that we continue to watch every week are Succession and Barry, Betty. which continue to be the best shows on TV. The most recent episode of Barry was so, like,
1: I don't know what the word is, gripping? Yeah. Barry has completely br- ruined my brain. <laughs> Here's the thing with that show. Tell me. There's a thing out there that I don't know where I heard it and I but I've heard it before that's that is this like piece of wisdom that says a good show teaches you how to watch it. Yeah. You know, like Game of Thrones. Like you you like you go into an episode of Game of Thrones back in the day when it was good and like You just, you know, you just know what sort of what to expect, but not in a way that makes the show boring. But you just secession is a great example, too. It has a very particular style, has a very particular sort of pace and flow, the way the dialogue
0: works, like the way, you know, it just you know what you're getting. And it's very the structure of the first season, typically starts you off slow, manageable and then like layers in Game of Thrones, the first episode, there's only really one or two characters, storylines, whatever. But then by the end of the show, you're watching 15 characters cut between and you can t- totally follow it.
1: Yeah. And you're fine. You're like, this is great. I I know where all these things connect to. So, yeah. that. So Barry, on the other hand, I mean, in a way, Barry has taught me how to watch it. But the way that it has taught me to watch it is this show is just so chaotic <laughs> in a way that like. I was, there was, in the most recent episode, without spoiling anything, there was a scene where the, one of the main characters, Sally, is dealing with a, like, home invasion situation. Yeah. Yep. That scene, I was fucking freaking (laughs) out. Like, legitimately (laughs) scared. Like, I just simply don't know. Like, this show is nominally a comedy question mark or at least it used <laughs> to be yeah. and now what? it's like i am fucking like you would have thought that there was a fucking home invader in my house <laughs> like that's how that's how fucking wigged out i was and i was like what is this show
0: done to me like this is so fucked so good uh, that was the highlight of that episode for sure like what a sequence just edge your seat for sure it's
1: done such a good zo- such a good job of subvert it like setting expectations just to then subvert those expectations. Sometimes it makes you laugh in like really unexpected ways. Sometimes it's so fucking fucked that you're like, Oh my God, I can't believe I just yeah. watched that. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. It just, you don't, literally scene to see, I have no idea what to expect. I have no idea what's going to happen. I mean, even p- plot wise, it's not that outrageous, but just sort of the way that they go about making the plot
0: happen is nuts, nuts, yeah, the, the, I mean, the, the filmmaking prowess, the pedigree of that show is just undeniable. And what's interesting is, I talk to a lot of people that watch Succession, because that show has hit record numbers and has become like HBO's big thing. But almost anybody who watches Succession, I ask them, Oh, do you watch Barry as well? And it's universally no. This is like such a still underwatched show. And I don't know if part of that is. The fact that less and less people are watching, like on TV, because like Succession is the leads into Barry. So like I watch them on live TV, and they just go right into the other. And most people just now watch Succession at their leisure because that's now. So maybe they're that's they never found that they never had that lead in, maybe, or just it's just such a niche audience. I don't know, but more and more like any anybody who's listening to this and the sound of our voice, like you have to try to watch Barry.
1: Yeah, I correct me if I'm wrong, is this a last season situation for Barry?
0: Yeah, this is it. Yep. Okay. This
1: show is going to go down as one of the like all time cult shows that time. it's yep. so weird. It's so like narrowly specific about what it's trying to do. Like it, this is go- This is already, I mean, I don't really know what to compare it to. It's like, the, it's like, it, it's going to go down as, it, with like the freaks and geeks <laughs> of the world,
0: which are like these like right. super like short lived culty TV things. Yeah. Like, Arrested Development ish almost. Yeah. Like yeah. Two, three seasons. Everyone who sees it loves it. Tell your friends, hand out the DVDs. At least that's what we used to do with Arrested
1: Development. Twin Peaks is another one. Yeah. Some of these are like less culty now and more just kind of mainstream, but like mainstream, they, ca- they came to the mainstream from like culty following kind of territory.
0: And then Succession only has, well, I guess Barry and Succession, I think only have two more episodes left, if I remember the advertising correctly. So we might be able to, be able to talk about the finales in our next episode potentially. Uh, but Succession's last episode was also terrifying in a different way. The election oh, episode. Oh, God. Yeah, 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 yeah. Another one, Edge of Your Seat, especially the second half of that one. So, yeah, great shows. That's, I mean, those are honestly the only like real shows I'm watching live that I'm super invested in. So, that's all I have for Netflix and Bill right now. All right. So, what are you going to, what's on the calendar? What are you going to watch this week? Yeah. Sticking to TV, we alluded to the fact that The Bear season two is coming out in June. There's a teaser for it. There's a release date for it. So got that in the calendar. Very excited for that. And for film, as of this recording, 40 minutes from now, I'm going to see Fast 10. The the end begins or whatever Uh, the beginning of the end. Because there's at least how fast are you going to drive to that movie theater? When I drive out, I'm I'm going to be like riding high. Yeah. (laughs) There's definitely another part to this, but then I thought I saw a headline that said they might they might have to have a third one to end it I don't know if that's true though but I know there's definitely a part one part two at least for this final quote unquote for Fast 10? Fast and Furious movie yeah this is Fast 10 part one essentially Jesus. and then presumably the next one will be the last one besides spinoffs fun fact about me I've never seen a single Fast and Furious movie yeah you're not you're not missing much to be honest <laughs> with you but the headlines for this one actually seem a, a little promising in the sense that it seems like it's fun and Jason Momoa is the bad guy and he's great so I don't know maybe it'll be alright At this point, I'm watching these movies more so for the craft of it, because I know that a lot of stunt people and a lot of stunt drivers and a lot of people in the industry like this is the pinnacle of that type of production of a stunt oriented car thing. So now I'm kind of more watching them for the technical just to be excited by the stunts they pull off. Yeah, whatever gets you through it, you know. Yeah, it's it's really what I got to do to get myself into these movies. And then I also have a ticket for next week to see The Little Mermaid, which we've talked about. Early tickets are now available for Across the Spider-Verse, which I'm excited about. Is that like an intentional... It's the sequel to Into the Spider-Verse.
1: Are they doing like a Beatles thing? Like, what are we doing here? Across the Spider-Verse.
0: I don't... That I can't speak to. Hmm. All I know is it's a sequel to Inside... In, in the Spider-Verse. So Across the Spider-Verse, super excited for that. That last movie was amazing, although I haven't rewatched it since theater, so I gotta do that. And then I also got a ticket to Pixar's next movie, Elemental. They have early tickets for that available as well. So always Elemental, excited to see what Pixar huh? puts out. Yeah, it's this world where all the different elements... Pe- the characters are all different elements flame water wind i guess whatever hmm. and i think a flame and a water droplet fall in love it's like a you know oh. it's like the Motskies and the capulets i don't know some sort of a star-crossed lover situation i think i don't know i don't watch trailers but that's what i hear it reminds me of just looking at like the general it reminds me of that uh
1: what was the movies what was the movie about like all the feelings going on inside of someone's head yeah inside out personified different thingies you know, I'm sure it's a great yeah. time. It's Pixar, for fuck's sakes. Yeah. Well, we'll see, Bill. It's been a pleasure. I hope we, uh, I hope we're able to deliver
0: a uh, man down, Sigzy Pod, for the people. Yeah, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, thank you for listening to the Should I Go See It podcast. Please make sure to tell your friends to follow on Instagram at Should I Go See It. Bye bye.